Welcome back to Zoology, a Mizzou Tigers podcast presented by Rock M Radio. I'm your host, Oscar Gamble. My co-host today is former Missouri football beat writer and Rock M Nation analyst David Morrison. Hello. Uh, unfortunately, our third host, Dan Keegan, uh, wasn't able to make it today, but we've got plenty to talk about. We can start with the situation circling Missouri basketball and Michael Porter Jr. Uh, Missouri lost on the road against Utah 77 to 59. It wasn't really a very pretty game at all. The just terrible shooting. Um, Jeremiah Tillman fouled out again. Uh, but really, the thing that I think everyone's focusing on once again is how, you know, how Missouri is handling Michael Porter Jr.'s uh, reported or somewhat reported injury and, you know, how that impacts the team. David, you've you've had some experience dealing with high profile athletes uh, and how schools handle them. Before we start recording, you had something to say about this. I wanted to get get you on record on that. Well, I'm just waiting for the press conference today that Michael Porter Jr. <laughs> is going to hold, and uh, yeah, I read about it somewhere on a message board or on Twitter or something like that. Um, <laughs> it seems this seems to have kind of all the hallmarks of a you know. A, an issue with a high profile athlete where everybody's interested in what's going on. The school is not very forthcoming with information. And so into that blank space comes all sorts of conspiracy theories and theories about what happened to Michael Porter Jr., how serious the injury is. I saw somebody like screenshot a Snapchat he t- did last night or something. And so everybody's trying to read into that. Um, I feel like everybody just needs to chill. <laughs> I feel like, uh, you know, this kind of reports of his demise are probably very vastly overstated. Um, I feel like he will play again for Missouri at some point this season. Um, it's just going to be a matter of patience, which I know fan bases are not the best at, especially when it's with a player like Michael Porter Jr. And with all the kind of expectations that he and the new recruiting class have placed upon this team um i feel like missouri could have done a better job from the beginning of this kind of tamping down uh speculation i mean they really said nothing (laughs) until you know after the wagner game basically about how serious this could be or even what was going on i mean he played for two minutes against iowa state then disappeared nobody knew what was happening and then he just wasn't on the court at all on monday and nobody knew what was happening and so i mean that's not a great way to go about this especially with somebody who everybody cares about like michael porter jr you know i mean if Jonathan Williams had not been at a game. There probably would have been some passing interest, but this is at a whole different level from that. And so a little better management on the front end probably would have led to this not being quite such a big deal right now. But right now, people just need to chill because, I mean, there's not a press conference today. There's (laughs) not, I mean, uh, basically everything you read, uh, probably assume that it's false. until you see somebody who actually covers the team or is around them every day saying something to that effect, I would say. Michael Porter Jr. has basically been carrying this team on his back all offseason. So, you know, I'm not going to give him too much of a hard time that uh, his back hurts, right? Like, uh, he carried this team in the offseason, recruiting, uh, the hype. He's built up a lot of interest. He played a couple of minutes uh, against, uh, you know, in the opening game against Iowa State, which is increasingly looking like... Uh, not a not a very impressive win at all but uh 
Um, at the same time, Missouri could have been better at handling the way that the, this kind of has been handled. Uh, I agree. Uh, there's been a lot of confusion because, you know, people don't know if it's his back or if it's his hip or if it's his knee or if it's his general leg area. And that was kind of reinforced when, you know, the head coach, Conzo Martin, was kind of referencing, you know, his leg or his hip. And people are like, well, uh, you know, which one is it? And the tricky thing, and I can speak to this as somebody who's had back surgery, is that they, back injuries are complex and have varying levels of uh uh, you have like referred pain and you're not really sure where it's coming from. And a lot of times they just take a lot of he- uh, rest. I'm not really sure. David, l- let me ask you something. I know you weren't able to get to watch the uh, <clears throat> the whole Utah game, but uh, you were able to keep track of it for a little while. And I watched a lot of it. There was a lot of poor shooting. There was uh, they don't shoot very well from deep, which is something that we've talked about you know, since, you know, the first secret scrimmage and the guard play wasn't that great. Do you think Michael would fix the problems that we saw or that we maybe heard about uh, against Utah? I think he would have gone a long way toward it because one, just him being on the court in and of itself takes a lot of defensive pressure off of the complementary players who struggled when who again they had to be kind of the main guys against Utah I mean Kevin Perrier Jordan Barnett Cassius Robertson I mean they're a lot better when they're options two three and four as opposed to being options one two and three on offense so just him being on the court in and of itself helps um, and then also I mean I think he helps with both of those issues or all of those issues too really i mean he's got size he's not a post defender but at least you know you can put him on the 3 and then kind of free up some of your smaller uh, you know your your bigger players to play the guys in the post um he's a good outside shooter so he helps that and then also i mean he's somebody who you can give the ball to and have him take it up the floor and kind of uh direct the offense as well so i mean he's he's basically your your point guard or can be at least, um, you know, on a team that really doesn't have a too much of a true point guard right now since they're playing Cassius Robertson there 30, 35 minutes a game. So, I mean, just I think he does go towards addressing a lot of these issues. Um, and you really saw that this team does have issues that were really kind of masked in the first two games because they were playing teams that were smaller than them, teams that weren't as good as them. I mean, you, you've seen with Iowa State since that game that they've lost to Wisconsin-Milwaukee and barely beaten Appalachian State. So it's not like they don't really look like world beaters right now. So um, I, when they came up against a team like Utah that had posts that were big enough to really threaten Tillman and John Tay Porter and had talented enough perimeter players to bug, uh, you know, the Jordan Barnetts and Cassius Robertsons of the world, uh, they kind of laid an egg. So, I mean, Michael Porter goes a long way towards fixing a lot of these issues. Uh, if they're missing him in Orlando at that tournament, that might be a problem. But, I mean, really, they're going to be playing inferior competition most of the rest of the uh, their preseason slate. So I wouldn't really get too worried about his absence until bragging rights or, you know, the start of the the SEC season. They don't really need him really until until then. Yeah, one of the things that uh, I was kind of doing a little research and, um, for example, last year, Jason Tatum didn't play until basically January and it um, didn't really hurt uh, his draft stock and Duke was still able to be fairly competitive. So again, you you talked about Utah having the big guys to maybe not dominate Missouri 
down low, but at least to kind of neutralize Missouri's uh, big guys, Tillman and uh, Jonte Porter. So that put more pressure on Missouri's guards. And we saw kind of, we saw what happens whenever they don't have those outlets. Uh, but I agree until, until this is, you know, after this, uh, this tournament and until Missouri is, is facing probably bragging rights, at least, I'm not super concerned. I'm willing to let Michael rest for as long as he needs. Michael's health is bigger than Missouri basketball. And, um, you know, I guess, I guess like you, you stated earlier, just relax until you have more to worry about some more hard details. I mean, I, I think that the team without him is still a decent team and they can still get through this preseason schedule without, taking too many, you know, quote-unquote bad losses that would hurt an NCAA tournament resume. So I really don't think they need to rush him back. Um, And that would help both him personally because, I mean, back injuries, like you said, are um, troublesome and and can linger. And then it will also help the team because you want a fresh Michael Porter playing in the SEC schedule where you're going to get some of your signature wins possibly and where you're going to play for SEC tournament positioning rather than one who's still got lingering back issues from, you know, when they didn't handle it well early in the season. So, I mean, give him all the time he needs. And yeah, I understand the fans are going to be uh, rabid until, <laughs> until somebody <clears throat> reveals to them one way or the other when he's getting back on the court. But I mean, it's, yeah, just calm down. What did, what did Aaron Rodgers say? R-E-L-A-X. Was that his <laughs> thing? So... I feel like uh, we just need to, everybody take a breath, you know, just a deep, calming, cleansing breath. On Saturday, uh, the football team went on the road, got their first conference road win under Barry Odom with a 45-17 to 17, uh, beating of the Vanderbilt Commodores. Um, first time they've had a road conference win since 2014. And I think uh, some stats out there said that this is the first SEC team since the 1983 Old Miss one that uh, started a season one and five and then had a five game winning streak. Maybe not maybe not the best thing, right? Maybe not the best company to have, but he deserves some credit for the turnaround. David, I know you've got opinions on Barry Odom's Tiger turnaround or however we want to label this. Uh, I'm going to just let you go at it. <laughs> I actually have absolutely no opinion on this matter whatsoever. <laughs> no, I just, I, I really shouldn't have tweeted last night because nothing good was going to come of it. And usually I can kind of internalize those thoughts and not put them on Twitter. I'm not apologizing for having those opinions because I think they're correct, but I am apologizing for obviously antagonizing at least part of the fan base with them. Um, I don't know. I feel like I'm I'm seeking a middle ground when there's really not a lot of middle ground seekers among this fan base. I feel like the people who don't think that Barry Odom is right for this job are going to seize upon the whole, oh, this was a really easy schedule in the last half and this is how they should have been playing anyway and we're still reserving judgment. Whereas the people who do think that Barry Odom is right for this job are buying into the whole turnaround. You know, I... Yeah, I told you guys when they were one in five that Coach Odom can get this turned around, and now he has, and aren't you all eating crow right now, and blah, blah, blah. I think the truth is somewhere in the middle. I think it is it is impressive that at one in five, this team didn't just give up and start laying eggs the rest of the season, and they came out and beat the teams that were on their schedule. That's very impressive. He should be commended for that. His staff should be commended for that. 
the players should be commended for that. They didn't give up. They believed in their coach, and now they're going to a bowl game. That's impressive. I also feel like anybody who doesn't, who looks at the back half of the schedule and doesn't see that all these teams are garbage and <laughs> and that that was a real factor in this quote-unquote turnaround is deluding themselves because, I mean, look at the first half of the season. Six games, five bowl teams if Purdue beats Indiana next week, and you go one and five. Look at the back half of the schedule. Six games, zero bowl teams. Mm -hmm. You beat them all. And, I mean, it's just, I feel like you can say that Barry Odom and his staff and the team did a remarkable job in the second half of the season and also say they did a very poor job in the first half of the season. There is room for both interpretations. I mean, the schedule was harder in the first half, but they shouldn't have lost to Purdue like that. They, I mean, they shouldn't have lost to South Carolina like that, really. They shouldn't have given up 40 points to Missouri State. So I don't think you can just say that Barry Odom has done a remarkable job this year. You need to say that Barry Odom has done a remarkable job making up for the very bad job that they did in the first half of the season. So, like, you know, I see all these... What a remarkable turnaround it's been. Coach of the year, all this stuff. And it's just, I don't think you can ignore the first half of this season when taking this season as a whole. And in the in, in the future, in the history books, when people say, Barry Odom, this team was 1-5 and five, and Barry Odom pounded on a uh, lectern and got out the lighter fluid and lit a bunch of on fire and all of a sudden they turned around. I don't think you can also say, and they played a bunch of garbage teams down the stretch too and that helped. So, I don't know. All I'm calling for is nuance. Um, I've been told that this is a lazy take to have, which if anybody knows me, they know I, I am not lazy <laughs> in the least when I come to my football opinions. Um, and so, uh, and I realize it's uh, it's easy it's easy for me as a not very emotionally invested person in this to come at it like, well, actually, but, but, you know, I just would, I would think that there's room for two interpretations of this season, whereas right now it seems like there's this one turnaround narrative that's just taking everyone by storm. And I don't think it's entirely accurate. Um, To me, the most interesting part about this season, or maybe the most, uh, the thing that people need to focus on the most is, why Missouri came out so slow? Why did they lay that egg against Purdue? Why were they not able to do to South Carolina what they've done to basically everyone except Auburn? I mean, they even scored 28 against Georgia, right? Um, to me, if Missouri can't tur- can't fix that problem that they have with, with slow starts, you know, I think you mentioned before that, that they have a, a habit of doing this last year, they kind of had a bad habit of doing it this year. They have a, uh, they started off slow. They're going to have real trouble in 2018. They have to figure out something there. So kind of talking about Vanderbilt, it seemed like I've said this in the past, Missouri seems to have about two quarters of good football in them. And they use those two quarters in the second and the fourth against Vandy. They scored uh, what 28 points, maybe in the second against Vandy. And that was pretty much enough to put the game away. But then the third quarter, Vandy came back. They had uh, 17, uh, I think they had 17 to three, right? And there was was this feeling, oh no, Missouri's letting Vandy back in. The defense, Missouri's defense wasn't playing super well. Uh, Drew Locke wasn't having a whole lot of success passing the, and the running game wasn't particularly well. It stalled out in the red zone. It kind of felt like 
you know, for as much credit as Missouri has for turning it around right now, it still felt like kind of the same team that we've seen in the past, just playing, like you said, worse competition. Yeah, and I mean, I think that the the encouraging things to take from last night is one, when Vanderbilt did come back in the third quarter, Missouri had answers. I mean, they turned them over on downs deep in their end. The, Terry Beckner had that interception and ran it back to midfield, and that really put the kibosh on the whole comeback thing. And then, you know, Albert Okwebenam, um had a long touchdown to really kind of drive the nail into the coffin. So they responded. I mean, Vanderbilt got within three scores and was in danger of getting closer, but Missouri was able to keep them off the scoreboard, put another score up, and really end the game. So that was encouraging. I also thought the encouraging thing was the offense didn't play great, and they still won by four touchdowns. I mean, you know, the offense, Drew Locke only completed 10 of 25 passes. There were some drops. I mean, he had 128 yards on two passes. And then, you know, his other 23 attempts basically didn't do all that much. Uh, the run game, I mean, they put up, I think, 190 yards. But against Vanderbilt, which is a defense that gives up 200-plus run yards a game, that's not that great of a performance. Uh, so... Right. The offense wasn't great, but the defense, I mean, they gave up some yards in the second half, but they also got three turnovers and one, you know, Brandon Lee cashed it in um, with a pick six. Um, And then also Rashad Floyd returned that punt for touchdowns and, you know, Tucker McCann had a field goal. I mean, so they really, they won the other aspects of the game, even if the offense wasn't really pulling its weight. And that's got to be an encouraging sign too, because I mean, the defense isn't, the strongest part of this team i'll put it nicely so um just the fact that they're getting contributions from other um you know uh, segments of the game yeah one of the biggest things that missouri uh struggled with at the beginning of the season was that special team stuff but it was uh probably my favorite thing uh my favorite maybe couple of minutes from the vanderbilt game was when rashad floyd uh broke that uh, cornerback's ankles for Vandy to score that touchdown, ran along the sideline, tiptoed and kept in bounds and then scored. And then a few minutes later on the punt return, he was able to basically run up the same sideline and score and pretty much put the game, you know, out of reach. Uh, I was rewatching earlier and it was, uh, I, I even gift the play and put it on Twitter. There was a AJ Logan threw a, a key block on it and, took out like four guys because AJ Logan is huge. He took out like four Vandy defenders and then just kind of walked onto the sideline and just stayed there. He, he kind of out of the corner of his eye, you could kind of see him. He's like, Oh no, he's got this all credit to Rashad Floyd doing the, such a good job returning the ball. And then Larry Roundtree, who's been a revelation kind of running the ball as a freshman, but also doing such a good job of just being consistent and uh, capable on kick returns. You know, that's been a huge uh, a boon that's taken a lot of pressure off of uh, other players. And David, you've talked about this in the past about how like you don't really always buy into there being three facets to the game. But when you can score twice on special teams, it takes so much pressure off of when Drew Locke has, you know, 10 for 25. I understand there were a lot of drops. I understand there was a lot of weather, but uh, I, w- I would be okay with him kind of coming back and proving that he can be a good QB uh, for an entire season. I still think he needs to come back. We're going we're gonna to keep seeing this. Um, my opinion on this is that uh, we're going to keep seeing these rumors kind of circulate and build until the draft. And then we're going to have this uh, moment where Drew's like, I'm coming back. 
And, you know, that's going to get, you know, the fan base kind of riled up, you know. Yeah, he's, he should tweet a graphic yeah. about it like Michael Porter Jr. Did. Yeah, and then, you know, he's, he's a true son. And, and I'm not knocking him at all, but, you know, it'll be a feel-good moment. The, the team will feel like, oh, we can rally around him in the senior year. And that's kind of where I see this heading. Yeah. Do you know who's not coming back or at least shouldn't? Terry Beckner. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> at the very end, you know, when he got the interception and he started running it back, Man, I was so hoping for him to be able to return that all the way. I was watching uh, on the replay. I saw that he even had a convoy of guys who could be yeah. uh, blockers, but he didn't have one like turn and look and actually block the guy that ta- ended up tackling. Like if there had just been one more guy or if one of the guys had just turned back and looked, Terry's taking that to the house. He's going 97 yards. Yeah. What was funny to me about that return was he did have the convoy of blockers, but he was almost outrunning them. Like he, yeah. was too, he was like too fast for the rest of the defense to get in front of him, which is insane to say about a 305-pound defense right. tackle. But I mean, I feel like that entire play was is the promise of Terry Beckner Jr. in a nutshell. You know, he takes on a block, disengages, like snares a pass out of midair, like two inches above his head. <laughs> uh, then j- just like the, the the offensive lineman tries to arm tackle him and he just shoves him off, like just runs through another guy, like puts a puts a move or two in around midfield before he's finally put. He's like a, I mean, I would I would have really liked to seen him in the Josh Augusta juggernaut pack oh, yeah. at some point in his life because I feel like he actually could have run for a touchdown from thirty yards out out of out of that or caught a pass out of the backfield and bowled some people over. Uh, I mean, he was it was just a really fun play to watch and he's been really fun to watch this season as he's been healthy and you know I don't know that he had to figure it out because he's been good for all three years he's been on campus but he's. He's just been consistently very playing at a very high level this year. And sometimes that gets kind of covered up on a defense that has struggled like Missouri's has. But he's he's been a dynamic this year. And he really I mean, I don't know that his draft stock will ever get higher. So he should he should go ahead and get that money. Yeah, Dan was tweeting from the account and uh, we had a few moments of uh, reminiscing about when he committed. And man, I was so I remember watching that conference live and how excited I was for him to be coming to Missouri. He pulled off, you know, he had that shirt that said D line zoo and, and numbers and, you know, his original number 79. And you, you kind of mentioned him figuring it out. I, I don't think he's ever had to figure it out. I think he came to Missouri basically ready to compete, ready to play. The only thing he's had to really figure out is how much he can trust his knees. And I think you saw, on that re- return, he is healthy. He is re- ready to go. Um, but, you know, like you said, he's struggled on some bad defenses, you know, because, the you know, the talent around him hasn't always been the highest, so he's been kind of asked to do a lot. Um, but, yeah, man, Terry, go get that money and represent D-Line Zoo. Uh, and, you know, <clears throat> I'm happy for him. I hope, he, I hope he goes to a good team that I can root for. Speaking of which, um, Missouri has had uh, – nine turnovers in three games versus seven in the last seven. And that that's getting back to that style of Missouri defense that we've really kind of come to expect where they're applying pressure to quarterbacks through the defensive line. And also with that pressuring up the middle with the linebackers, Kale Garrett, uh, Therese Hall, forcing him, forcing the opposing quarterback to make rush decisions. And then finally actually getting the turnovers, you know, Adam Sparks had that good, that great play. This team finally looks like it's able to do what we've kind of hoped in the, 
at the beginning of the year, which is play just good enough defense, get enough turnovers to kind of allow them to steal possessions away from opposing teams while Missouri's offense runs it up. I mean, I've seen some really encouraging signs as far as people breaking on passes in the second. I mean, it's still it's still a work in progress. It's still a pretty um, lenient secondary when it comes to yards and when it comes to receivers running routes all over them and, you know, Jared Pinckney running open down the middle of the field for 35-yard <laughs> gains or whatever was happening uh, last night. But... The fact that, I mean, Adam Sparks broke on that ball. That ball hung up in the air for about a year and a half. But, you know, credit to him for, for for reading it and getting there. So he broke on that ball. Brandon Lee was running stride for stride with his tight end when he picked that pass off and ran it back for a touchdown. I mean, you can go back to last week where Caleb Pruitt should have had that interception where he read the quarterback's eyes. But he was there. Um, Anthony Sherrill's made that really nice play coming over top against Florida. It just seems like... Instead of being almost in the position to make plays now or being in the position but not being able to make the plays, they're in position and they're making plays. Um, And that's obviously a huge upgrade over what was happening early in the season. And to get to your point about Therese Hall and Kale Garrett, I mean, this was kind of a signature game for them as well, especially Kale Garrett. Kale Garrett was just going to have his mind last night. But they're just, they're so much better when they're just kind of allowed to stalk the quarterback and just you know release through the line and when they're having to cover people or you know go backwards or read and and things like that so I mean the more that they can unleash them and trust the safeties and corners behind them to kind of pick up the slack while they're blitzing the better they can be um and you know I think it's a little bit improved play out of the secondary that's kind of unleashing those two because now the coaches trust a little more that if they blitz Garrett and Hall, they're not going to have guys running wide open 35 yards down the field and things like that. When maybe that still does happen, the guys in the backfield are going to at least wrap up and take the guy down a reasonable amount of time, right? Yeah. Missouri, you know, their next opponent, Arkansas, probably poses the biggest offensive challenge that Missouri has faced since... Georgia. Yeah, uh, they're they're at least competitive, but they don't have anything to play for. As uh, as we've learned that uh, Arkansas's athletic director Jeff Long was fired or ousted by the board, and the 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 rumor is that uh, Brett Bielema is out at the end of the season. Real and Arkansas is four and seven after that loss to Mississippi State. They don't really have anything to play for. They can't become bowl eligible. They can't spoil uh, Mizzou's bowl chances either. Right, he's already yeah. in. <laughs> Yeah, so all they have to play for is is uh, senior night, um, and uh, I I would love for Missouri to head down to Arkansas and kind of complete this uh, Gary Pinkle revenge tour. They've uh, Missouri's already beat Tennessee and put Butch Jones, you know, out of job, and then beat uh, Brett Bielma, who was the last team to beat uh, Gary Pinkle. I, I would love for that to kind of reverse itself a little bit here i think it will i i was i was hoping arkansas would beat our, uh, mississippi state to at least light a little fire under them for next week because i mean like <laughs> you said they're just they're playing out like if this was uh major league baseball they'd be you know booking tickets to whatever winter uh <laughs> travel destination they'd be going to because just they, they really don't have anything to play for their 80s gone their coach is probably going to be gone i mean I guess maybe the seniors might get a little amped up being senior night. Maybe some of the Arkansas players will get a little amped up if Eric Beisel starts shooting his mouth off again. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, I totally forgot about him. (laughs) About how bad Arkansas is. But I 
I feel like this is going to be the culmination of the Gary Pinkle Revenge Tour and really the Drew Locke Revenge Tour. Because, oh, yeah? I mean, in 2015, Drew Locke was just going going to SEC Stadium to SEC Stadium and getting obliterated behind a bad line on a terrible offense. And now he's just owning people. I mean, even when he's 10 for 25, he's not getting pressured back there and he's still connecting on a 71-yard pass a game. So, I mean, that that makes up for a lot of things. Right. So, I mean, I feel like Drew Locke can go in there next week, throw for 300 yards and three touchdowns and be like, you know, how you like me now, basically. Um, and, yeah, they'll... Go seven and five, go into the bowl season on a six game win streak and hopefully come up against a quality team that we can actually kind of measure how much progress they've actually made this year. Yeah, if uh real quick, uh if Drew completes his uh or it continues at the same pace of throwing three touchdowns a game, he will uh I think he'll have eight games in a row of at least three touchdowns and would break Chase Daniel and uh, the SEC Andre Woodson uh, record for passing touchdowns in a season. Uh, he's currently at 38, so he only needs two more to break the record. Three, you know, hey, you know, one for, for kicks, right? <laughs> um, but, yeah, the big thing now is where is Missouri going bowling? Because, you know, we've already locked up the sixth win necessary. Missouri's splash page on mutigers.com has – about eight different options, but I think everyone's pretty sure that they're going um, to to the Liberty Bowl uh, December thirtieth uh, in Memphis, Tennessee. We'll we'll know more on December third when those those picks when those games are announced. But uh, the thing that we kind of want to talk about is who would you prefer to see? Really, I, I think Iowa State is kind of a favorite, right? Yeah, Iowa State would be nice because they. I mean. They filled their vacancy at the same time as Missouri did, and with Matt Campbell. I mean, I, I think Matt Campbell agreed to terms with Iowa State probably like six days before Barry Odom was hired as Missouri's coach. So I mean, it's the it's the, it's the two coaches that have come into the situation at the same time. I would say that Iowa Matt Campbell walked into a worse situation at Iowa State than Barry Odom did at Missouri. And I mean, right now the two teams are kind of on divergent trajectories a little bit. You know, Iowa State got ranked and got all this buzz for beating Oklahoma and they beat TCU, right? Am I, am I imagining that? Okay. <laughs> for beating Oklahoma and TCU, but now they've kind of dropped off the radar. You know, I don't think they're ranked anymore. They just put in a workmanlike effort against Baylor on Saturday. So, you know, they're, they're kind of cooling down a little bit while Missouri is heating up in the wins column. So it'd be kind of cool to see those two intersect in a bowl game. And, you know, if, if Missouri beats Iowa state in a bowl game, I will say that's a good win, you know, no caveats at all. (laughs) None of these like, Oh, they're playing garbage and that's why they're winning all these games things. That would be a really good win to end the season on and go into 2018. So, I mean, yeah, that would be a a matchup that I'd be really interested to see. Yeah. Some of the other teams that have been kind of uh, the reason why the Liberty bowl is so appealing for Missouri and while why Missouri is so appealing to the Liberty bowl people is because it matches up an SEC team versus a Big 12 team. And as we know, uh, there's no love lost between Missouri and the Big 12. Uh, one of the opponents that uh, Missouri could face is Texas. That'd be fun, too. <laughs> yeah, right? Because uh, all the uh, drama there where, you know, Texas's bad years are better than Missouri's good years and uh, that that whole thing. And then facing up against Tom Herman, was, who was another guy who got hired right around the same time as Barry Odom. Um, and so you could kind of uh, match 
up where every program is kind of in terms of hierarchy. Um, and then, of course, uh, I think there's a third team, West Virginia, that's kind of been rumored, and that would be the uh, rematch of the opening game of Barry, Barry Odom's you know, career on the road against West Virginia. Now, I think West Virginia lost their quarterback, Will Greer, to a hand injury. He looked pretty bad. I'm not sure he's going to be playing. But, uh, you know, maybe not the most sexy game in terms of history or anything like that, but uh, it, West Virginia is viewed as one of the teams that replaced Missouri in the Big 12 and as one of the teams that a lot of SEC fans would have preferred to have in the SEC over Missouri. So, you know, kind of beating them would also kind of put a nail in that coffin I wouldn't be too interested in seeing West Virginia just because uh, Missouri played him last year. What would kind of add a little juice to it for me would be if Will Greer came back and was able to play in that game. Because one, I mean, him and Drew Locke had been kind of jousting at the top of the college football rankings for touchdown passes this year before, you know, Greer went down with the injury and Locke continued along his pace. Uh, And then also, I I think that Mizzou, some Mizzou fans are probably still a little... uh, cross at Will Greer for, you know, playing in mm-hmm. 2015, a homecoming game and they beat and, you know, uh, Florida beats Missouri 21 to three. And then it comes out less than a week later that Will Greer is suspended for the rest of the season. And, but it, it also came out that maybe Florida kind of knew about it before the Missouri game. So maybe Will Greer shouldn't have even been playing in that game. So I think there's a little bit of kind of hurt feelings from that still too. That would be fun to see play out in a bowl game. I have a screenshot of a message board that set from somebody who said, enjoy Will Greer tomorrow because this is his last game. So somebody knew about something somewhere. So, yeah, I think maybe if Greer came back, you know, if he's got time, there'd be about a month between uh, now and December 30th when some of these bowls would be played. Uh, you know, if he came back, finished it out, that'd be, that would add some spice to the game. But whoever it is, it's going to be fun for Missouri to go bowling first time under Barry Odom. They could potentially reach uh, eight and five and, uh, you know, maybe, uh, maybe build on some of that for 2018. I mean, I've really, I really think 2018 can be a good, a special season for them. I mean, the schedule is a lot tougher than if they, if they had what all they, what all they've got for 2018 this year. I mean, you would expect a dynamite season from them this year, really. But the fact that Alabama is on the schedule, the fact that Georgia is going to be good, South Carolina is probably going to be pretty good again next year. So the schedule is a little tougher. Um, Mm -hmm. but they should have some special skill players next year, especially if Drew Locke is back. I mean, the defense, they seem to be figuring out the personnel on defense. I mean, it'll be tough to replace Marcel Frazier and probably Terry Beckner and Anthony Sherrill's seeing as how Anthony Sherrill's is playing really well as the season's gone down too. But I mean, I, I would be nothing but optimistic if I was Missouri fans right now because you're I mean you're probably gonna win this next game you're going to a bowl that's all uh good feelings and extra practices for the young players and then going into next year this is going to be a team that can challenge for I don't know if they can challenge for the east because Georgia looks pretty good right now but they can challenge for second in the east and maybe put a scare into Georgia too so I mean I I would be optimistic if I was Missouri fan (laughs) Missouri does get Georgia at home next year, uh, a week after traveling to Purdue. So uh, that's kind of a, <laughs> a suddenly that's a scarier group of games right there than maybe fans thought a couple of years ago. But um, yeah, you, you're going to get Demaria Crockett back. 
you're going to have, uh, you know, you're still going to have what uh, nine out of 11 of the starters for Missouri's offense. And uh, Missouri just landed the commitment of Antar Thompson, who can uh, basically replace, hopefully replace Terry Beckner's production. Um, bit of an older player, but he's a guy who uh, has been kind of associated with the Missouri program for a while. Defensive lineman, he come in. Missouri gets that Texas transfer, Jordan Elliott, and uh, hopefully picks up at least a couple more defensive linemen to come in and really bolster those those lines because I think that's probably the biggest concern for me, at least right now, is is those trench uh, battles uh, and losing Beckner and A.J. Logan and Marcel Frazier kind of could hurt. Thanks for listening. You can always jump in our uh, on our in our mentions on Twitter at Zoology Pod. You can follow us on Facebook. Um, we've got a couple more reviews on iTunes. If you leave us a review, feel free to leave us some commentary. We love those. We'll read them out loud. Um, I've been your host, Oscar. You can find me on Twitter at Oscar Gambler. And uh, that's been David Clicks Morrison. We miss you, Dan. <laughs> uh, thanks for listening to Zoology. Oh, yeah.